My guest today is known as the hyperactive salesman. He's been in the sales game for over 15 years, is a multiple-time elite top performer at PosiSlope and Beacon Building Products Canada. When he's not making dials and closing business, he's also the founder of EB3, a sales consulting business for small and medium-sized businesses. Introducing Eddie Bonham. Welcome to Winning Streaks. I'm your host, Tanvir Mustafa, and every week I get deep into the stories and strategies of experts, champions, business moguls, and industry leaders to find out how you can win the day and win at life. If you're committed to never settling for the status quo and consistently challenging yourself to new heights, then this is the show for you. In return, I commit to bringing you insightful, practical, and no BS conversations that will help you create your next big win. Eddie, welcome pleasure, to the show, man. Pleasure, an absolute pleasure, Tanvir, man. Can't, I'm stoked to be here, to say the least. And just just from the start, you know, you're coming out with that energy that you've always got. Why are you nicknamed the hyperactive salesman? Tell me the story behind that. You know, you're the first that's ever asked that. <laughs> Funny enough, as I've had so many people tell me they love the name, like they love the tagline, but nobody's ever actually asked me why. So it's good that I clarified for the first time. So I was watching, I think a lot of people have seen this movie, She's Out of Your League. Yeah. And you remember that part where Stainer ends up going to see the girl at um, the cash for the fast food restaurant in the the airport? Yep. And he basically explains why he's called Stainer and how he owns the name because of how much he was made fun of it, let's say. Mm -hmm. Well, I was never made fun for being hyperactive. But the one thing that I knew about myself is that I am a hyperactive person. You know, I had ADHD when I was young. And the one thing that you'll realize as you get older and with the science, obviously, with, I guess, the biology, you tend to get less hyper as you get older. You do calm down. But fundamentally, it's still there. It never goes away. And I wanted to own that about myself. I had one client about five years ago when I entered with Posi. He had like my name in the industry is Fast Eddie. Or for this one gentleman, he called me Crazy Eddie. Not in a (laughs) bad way, just crazy. Like it's crazy how fast this guy gets to me or how he gets shit done. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to own this. I didn't want it to be something negative. And I embraced it. And I knew that I was a type that spoke fast, you know, moved fast. I'm always doing things in a fast fashion and I didn't want to escape it. I wanted to just own it. That's where it really all comes from. Yeah. I love that because I think a lot of people take their flaws and take their weaknesses and they sort of shy away from them and they let them take a back seat. Whereas it's like Eminem and 8 Mile, you know, at the end of the movie, he's, we're using all these movie analogies, but anyway, at the end of the movie, he's like calling out his weaknesses and that's what makes him win that rap battle. You know what I mean? And I think if we were all to to follow the eight mile model a little bit more, that'll not as not only help us show up woefully as ourselves, but, you know, live authentically, be authentic in the sales process, which is the next part that I want to get, get into, which is, you know, sure. you've brought these not flaws, but you've used this as a strength, right. In your, in your selling process, in your day-to-day life, it's all a part of humanizing the sale. If I'm Always. not mistaken, Always. how would you describe that? Like, how do you describe humanizing the sale? To try to make it not overly complex, you see more often than not, especially now in a digital age, everything is becoming automated. Everything is sequence-based, everything is scripted, and you detect it more often than not. And I mean, I get it all the time. I still get cold calls. And when you start hearing the opposition speak, and it's, it's so monotone, it's so flat, the intonation is not there, you start asking yourself, is this what sales has become? And I'm an advocate of humanizing the sale in the sense that have a conversation. Now, I'm not saying I'm against the script. Now, the one thing that I do push is script when it comes to cold call. But the one thing that everybody knows about me is I talk about the evolution of the script, how you create these anticipatory events within a script. And the way that I best describe it is, take, for example, when you start off your call with your opener. A lot of people have this notion about doing, let's say, the permission-based opener or asking for a specific amount of time or whatnot. I always talk about doing research, but then The research, you take that key information and then you translate it in a way where it's familiar information to the end user. So I'll elaborate a little further. When we call, let's say, prospects or salespeople call prospects in general, we know that we're professional shit disturbers. We're getting into, (laughs) right? That's what it is, right? We get into the call and we're disturbing an individual's day. Mm -hmm. Now, they're not expecting the call. The information in which you're trying to relate to them is not top of mind. It really isn't. It's something that's out of the blue that they don't have time for most of the time, at least. Here's the kicker. If you try to humanize it in a sense that you go and you do some research, you familiarize yourself with the company and the individual, and you bring a pain point to that individual that is 
familiar to them, it's an easy way to have a fluid conversation because this is something that's based on their organization or industry that is top of mind. Mm -hmm. And it's something that they want to talk about. So it's not something that they out of nowhere just have to jump into. Instead, it's something there. Uh, there's this crucial aspect of them trying to find a solution. And you can provide the solution, but you have to make sure you try and find alignment between yourself as an individual and this individual together so that the solution makes sense for both and there's a mutual benefit. Mm -hmm. This is why I always talk about the humanization of sales, because I don't want it to necessarily be scripted, which although you can use a script, but try to make it more human. That, that's how I see it. Yeah. And it's funny when you mentioned that, you know, when I think of what robot robots could do, like if a robot were a salesperson, mm -hmm. what they would do is, you know, dial. Hi, John. The reason for my call is, you know, and like I've gotten I, I'm like that particular <laughs> opener to me is just not it anymore, you know, because a robot can do that. But if I, you know again, like you mentioned, permission-based openers is an example. Like, hey, you know, I know you're not expecting my call. Was wondering if you have a couple of minutes before you jump into your next meeting. I promise I'll be brief. Like yeah, Bilal's a great advocate of that. I see Bilal on LinkedIn. He's a great advocate of that. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's wrong in any way. For me, I like the idea of starting with a question. Questions have always been one way to try to rise conversation. Mm -hmm. Like if you call and you say, you know, let's call him, uh, let's call him John. You start off, hey, John, it's Eddie from EB3. Been doing a little research. I see that XYZ seems to be a problem in this industry. I just want to know how affected are you by this? They'll start off by answering the question because it is a pain point that they're familiar with. And this is data that I know based on their industry or organization. Yeah. Answer, oh, yeah, I mean, it is a problem, but like, you know, what is it to you kind of thing? Well, I mean, look, it seems as though that I do have a solution that aligns pretty well with your organization. My idea is to work together to be able to solve it. And then you can go into permission. But the fact that you were able to create conversation so simply off of a question, right. it's kind of a no-brainer. All you're trying to do is get the individual. And as salespeople, we want to hear that word, tell me more, right? That's what we're chasing here. We're chasing the tell me more. Mm -hmm. But you need to ask something so that they can talk and put the ball in their court. Mm -hmm. We're always the ones talking as salespeople. If you don't get them to talk and engage, they're going to want to close the line. But if, they're, but if they're getting the chance to talk about something that they do want to talk about, makes it that much sweeter. Yeah. I love this about your approach because I think one of the biggest flaws, you know, salespeople, and we all have it, it happens to all of us, is that we go into a call, we go into any meeting with the need for a specific outcome. Like it's like, we, I want these outcomes, you know, I want a meeting and I want so on and so on. So, but the goal isn't necessarily to book a meeting. I know, I know that might be controversial, but like the goal no, no, is to start to a the, the, the goal industry, is to start yes. a conversation, right? Like the goal is to start a conversation that gets them engaged, gets them interested, piques their curiosity, in my opinion. Um, and I think in yours as well. Absolutely. If we just approached it that way, then when somebody says, you know, I'm having so-and-so problem, my sales process is broken, instead of like pitching, you know, tell me more about that. Like, how is that impacting like your day-to-day? -day? Like, how is that impacting your bottom line? Like, you know, so on and so forth. And I just find that when we look, when we focus on the outcome, we get away from the parts that humanize the sale, like empathy and so on and so forth. And yeah. I want to know how you view that as well. So what you just said goes back to what we said a second ago. Now, I've always said something kind of, um, and it sounds peculiar, and I think you'll be able to resonate with this. If you can find a way to reverse the role of the idea of booking the meeting and what I mean by most salespeople are just trying to book the meeting, right? You have the SDR realm who's truly trying to get that meeting booked. If you are truly humanizing your conversation, you'll find that eventually the end user will be the one inciting the next steps. Not you. It's not the salesperson. If you create enough intrigue and intent and so forth, the client or the prospect, which will become a client, will end up saying, you know, when can we meet to talk about this further? Yeah. You're basically inciting them to create the meeting without you having to say anything. And right. this is what you're truly trying to create. But unfortunately, we're so programmed in at least today's digital world in the SDR game, BDR game, that it's always about pushing a meeting onto somebody. You're imposing on them. And then what ends up happening, you see so many people ghosting. Well, of course they want to ghost because there and then in the conversation, you do have people that don't have, let's say not the nerve, but they don't want to be rude and just say, I don't want to talk to you. And I don't want to go into a next meeting. They just feel like I'll just reserve myself, say yes, and then ghost it. Yeah. Right. And that's what we see more often than not. 
But again, if you ask enough questions, and if you allow the rise to happen on its own, people are going to want to talk to you further. They're the ones who are going to want to know more and say, well, when can we talk about this further? Because this is a solution that's either going to alleviate or mitigate or et cetera. And this is what at least I've seen through certain mentors and great salespeople capable of doing. They've gotten the opposition to create the meeting, not themselves, because of so much intrigue in the conversation. That's how I see it, at least. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm a very big fan of that approach as well, just because, you know, putting the customer in a position where they are selling to you as opposed to you selling Thank to them, That's they're imposing to on you and you're not imposing on them. It's like, you know, one of the things that I love to say on a call is, you know, honestly, I, I'm not sure if this is going to be a good fit for your company, but I, if we have a few minutes, I'd love to figure out if that, if that would be the case because, love that. Th- you know, they don't feel the, imp- the imposing. The position, as you the pressure. Exa- yeah, exactly. That's what it is. And the less imposition and pressure you put on an end user, when I say end user, I mean things like, you know, opposition, prospect, client, whatever, whatnot. But the less pressure you put, the less imposition, the more inclined they want to continue the conversation. Yeah. Because to them, it will turn into just a back and forth exchange instead of having to feel like they are obliged to answer something. Yeah. And we don't need that. But the, the issue is in the sales realm, you see more and more organizations care about volume than they do truly about the quality, right? It's all quantity over quality. And it's getting more difficult because you're going to see big firms, big companies, organizations alike that are going to get funding. And unfortunately, they have to prove something on paper. So they chase volume so that the end result becomes a positive number on a balance sheet. When you see some of the smaller firms that don't have these kind of issues that are still privately owned and whatnot, you don't see that kind of pressure. And I know this, and I can firsthand say this because I've worked with public companies, and I've worked with private companies who don't have funding. And the one thing I've realized is the private always, 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 more often than not, put a lot more emphasis on the quality of the call than having to worry about how much like milliseconds they're spending based on, let's say, things like their gong coaching or their course coaching. Like, this is exactly what we should be doing. Don't spend more than three minutes and 32 seconds on every call. They don't worry about that because they understand the value behind having good conversation good, wholesome conversations that are in the best interest of the opposition. They're truly looking to serve a product or service, Mm. excuse me, render a product or service to the end user that is of benefit to them. Mm -hmm. Not to impose a product because they have to sell it so they can have a positive number on the balance sheet. That's the real difference that we're seeing. This is one of the things that I think is hurting the sales industry the most, which is the volume-based selling like the metrics and like we can talk about this all we want but the reality for an sdr bdr on the come up is that some of their orgs are measured by how many dials are you making like are you making 100 calls a day for some people like even you know high volume high pressure to deliver on those numbers as opposed to creating meaningful conversations but pivoting to that like how do you view creating meaningful conversations and how do you go about doing that Well, it goes back to what we said earlier, right? When you're humanizing the sale and you're asking questions and you're having more of a friendly conversation then have it be very business driven. And I do have an example for this. And I mean, I don't name companies because of NDAs, but I can give you a really good example. And I was talking about this yesterday to somebody else on a podcast. And there's a company that I worked with. They used to do a hundred dials a day. So they were doing a hundred calls a day and their objective was very script, like very script based. I told them when I came in to consult, what if you did 50 calls and spent twice the amount of time on the call? And at the same time, whatever residual time that you have, you use on research. Mm-hmm. At first, they didn't understand the concept. I mean, it's self-explanatory, but they didn't truly understand the value behind it. So I explained. I said, you're spending eight hours solid, sitting down, doing 100 calls. And throughout that 100 call, you may, find, you may end up getting, let's say, a 30% response rate. I don't know what the average is. It's different for every company, Mm. but you may end up getting a 30% answer rate. And out of that 30%, you might only get 5% that are going to book further, right? It seems like the booking rate is between five and 10% in the industries. I told them if you made 50% less, so you did 50 calls and you spent twice the amount of time and then whatever extra time that you had in between or even before. So if let's say we had your usual one hour residual time kind of throughout scattered in the eight hour day, take the one hour beforehand and just try to enter as much data as you can based on the 50 calls that you're going to make. 
when you go into it, use the research, use the data and have this specific conversation instead, which is what we spoke about earlier with the John thing. Mm -hmm. Start off with a question based on the research that you have. Mm -hmm. Here's the results. After they did the pilot test, they came back. Not only did they book more meetings, they did 10% more revenue in that quarter. So it just goes to show you that if you do have the opportunity to talk at a human level and you take the time, and this is what really hurts what we said earlier, like these volume-based companies, they don't want to take the time. SDRs, and I get this like you would get this, they're literally trying to get on the phone and as fast as they can get you into a meeting. Yeah. I had one guy call me from, you know, an email fetching company. Let's not say the name. And I couldn't believe he didn't give a second for himself to breathe in between his sentences. Mm -hmm. It was just ongoing. It was an ongoing sentence from one point to the next. By the time he got to the end, he said, what do you think? Should we book a meeting? I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, I could have answered six things in between this huge paragraph of words, but I didn't even have a chance. All you were trying to do is get me into a next step. Yeah. And I, I just stayed humble. I said, unfortunately, I don't need the tool. When I could have stopped him and said, hey, man, did you even look at my profile? Do you even know who you're calling? Like, you would know that I don't need this tool. Yeah. But no, the gentleman did not look at anything. He just called because I was a number on a list that came up based on them fetching numbers of dials. That's all it was. And it's sad to see this because I've been in the sales room for so long and it's not getting any better. If anything, it's getting worse. And I can advocate as much as I want, but I can't change the game, right? You need a collective to help it. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming up with a little framework of my own to sort of describe what you just said, which is uh, preparation, planning, and process. Like if you have those three things dial in, if, you, if that person just did the preparation, right? They would know the context of what they're, they're speaking to you with. with um, if they're planning out you know, their day, their dials, they have a very easy subsequent way of getting from one call to another and then processes what is the process they're going through during their call to be able to get to that outcome, but to create a meaningful conversation. So I was, I was thinking about this in the gym yesterday, like, you know, an SER could, if they, if their goal was just to set a meeting, like the goal that you just jump on a call and be like, Hey, you know, uh, we might be able to double your revenue. Like, would you be open to taking a meeting? Like not many CEOs and founders are going to say no to something like that. You know what I mean? And you get the meeting, but it's extremely unqualified. So So I'll give you my secret if you want it. This is my process. And this is what I do in my consulting gigs. Like, um, so I call it repeat. That's my framework. And it's R-A-P-E-E-T. And it kind of resembles what you were saying a second ago, like about the planning. But when I give them the framework, it takes time to do. But the idea is for you in the commencement phase of your outreach to do so, and then eventually becomes second nature. Mm -hmm. So it stands for research, analysis, planning, execution, evaluation, and transformation. I'm going to steal yours. (laughs) (laughs) It is a golden nugget. And usually, I mean, look, I charge people to tell them this because it's my secret, but whatever, you know, let's let it out in the open for now. So the idea is that you do your research, right? And we have an abundance of tools. There's plethora of information online. And we know that because take Zoom Info, for example, like 50% of the things you need to know are on Zoom Info, right there alone. Once you have the data, it's not necessarily that that data is always going to be 100% accurate which is why you're going to have your analysis, uh, sorry, uh, phase. You're going to look at the data and you're going to try to compare the data. If you find other things online that seem to have a discrepancy, you're going to note it. And then you're going to try to find other, let's say, pieces of information that are going to be complementary to those in which are wrong or whatever it may be. From that, you start planning how you're going to approach, let's say, the call or the meeting or whatnot. And this doesn't just apply for phone. It applies for in face-to-face meetings and whatnot. Once you've completed your planning, you go into your execution, right? You're going to execute based on what you've planned. And that's either going to be something based on a script or battle card or whatever. Once you've finished the execution, you take the information that took place. And this is why things like Gong or Chorus and et cetera, and like Sierra, let's say get Sierra are relevant. You take what you've learned from the call and then you evaluate it. You see what was good, what was bad, what you can change, what you can adjust and et cetera. And then if you do see discrepancies or things that need work, you transform it, you evolutionize it so that you cannot make the mistake again after, or you can create anticipatory things that could have different branches of outcomes Mm -hmm. to make your call or meeting better. That's my framework. And it's worked for me my entire life, except for me, it's second nature now, 
I just plug it into, let's say, a CRM and it just does it on its own kind of thing. But it seems to work really well for the companies I work with. And it seems it resonates well because it's just, it's, sec it's kind of like a no-brainer, right? Do the research, execute, and if something's wrong, change it. But except that now is, you have an actual pathway towards the end. Yeah, that is gold, man. Uh, I hope people, <laughs> you know, take that, write it down because that process is exactly the process that you need to create meaningful inter interactions, you know, book qualified meetings, so on and so forth, and like perform as a sales professional. I love it. I think it's amazing. Eddie, let's go back in time a little bit. We've been talking, sure. you know, tactics. Let's go back in time and talk to, you know, 11-year-old Eddie who's <laughs> at a buffet or at a restaurant <laughs> and was asked to, to go out and, you know, start helping tables and sell the premium plate. Yeah. Tell me about your sales origin story and, you know, how that came about. Well, look, I'll condense it. I know we spoke about this before. So I used to work for a catering company. And I was supposed to, and I'll tell you like granularly what it was. I was supposed to be the dish boy. And I was. Something happened. They asked for help. I went and I started helping with the buffet. But I was told if I can try to upsell to have like fine dining, instead of having just the buffet, you could order off of a, a la carte menu. And then funny enough, when I had the people come into the buffet line, I did it my first person. It was the first sale that I made. I'm just like, I'm going to try it out and say, Hey, blah, blah, blah. And then I quantified. I don't remember the exact conversation, but I know I quantified something that made them want to buy the premium plate. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I'm like, this is pretty cool. I, di I didn't know that that's what sales was all about at the time. I was just very proud of myself because at the time, like I had told you, you get a little bit more money if you're able to upsell. And when my boss came to me, he was just thrilled. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. I can do this more often and make more money. This is great. So that resonated with me. And I kind of carried that forward, right? throughout every career. And then I started selling shoes at Aldo. And like, I was like 13 years old selling shoes and I had broken like the rookie record there. And it just, <laughs> everything kept moving forward. And yeah. every time I went to another faction or organization, I kept somehow, some way breaking these small records. And then at one point I told myself, all right, I think this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I remember the day it actually happened. I knew the day that I wanted to be in sales for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And it happened at TD Bank. Hey, let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's get it. I know, I know you know. So this is like one of my favorite stories of all time. I was in college university and there was a gentleman that walked in and he was just livid. It turns out that we had been charging him for like six months straight, his unlimited plan, which is like $14.99 or something back then. And he comes to the branch and he's just livid. Like, why are you guys charging me? I called and I told you to close my account six months ago. I'm going to, you know, uh, um, hell, raise hell and this and that and everybody was hearing him and like the branch was full and he came to me obviously so I calmed him down for a second I said look I understand what you're going through I hear you right I played the I hear you card I'm like I hear you I completely understand just please do me a favor let's try to keep the tone down let's talk about this let's just talk about it I said give me a sec I'll look in your system let's see what we can do I looked in it turns out that yes he made the call there was a system error it is what it is these things happen I went back to my boss that was in the back. I said, look, we have an error right now. This gentleman is just irate. He's creating a scene. I need to do something. After I had spoken to her, she said, all right, we're going to fix the dilemma. Go in the system, take care of it. Just delete it. I said, all right, no problem. I said, but what else could we do to make sure he leaves here satisfied? I don't care about him. Like, I don't care about just alleviating the issue. I want him to leave here satisfied. Mm -hmm. Is there anything I could do? She said, well, if you want to give him a couple of months for free, if he decides to stay with us. And originally he wanted to close everything, but all he had was an account. He walked in here saying everything like he had mortgages and everything with us. Yeah. And I said, all right, let me take care of it. I go back. I speak to him. I say, look, I took care of the six month. It's all done. Another thing though, is what I would prefer is that you do stay with us. So how about I give you an additional six months for free? I'm going to credit the account for 60 some dollars, whatever it was, or $80. If you decide to stay with us, we talked it through. Everything went well. He decided to stay. Then what I realized is that he was pre-approved for a credit card. Let's so go. I'm like, right? <laughs> that's how everything started working. Anyways, so I saw it was pre-approved and it was a $0 credit card. You know, he didn't have any annual fees and it was a points card. So I just told him, I said, look, I looked at your history before the six months and you are a regular spender. Like it looks like you are regularly spending. Why not have a pre-approved credit card that's zero annually? And if you're somebody who does pay your bills on time, you're going to make money to spend money. What's better than spending money and getting money in return? Yeah. So 
by the time he left, not only did he stay with us, I sold him a credit card in overdraft. The guy walked in hating TD, walked out with two credit products. Right. My boss comes back to me. She's like, what the hell just happened? Did you just sell that guy? I'm like, I think I did. And then yeah. she's like, I'm calling the VP. We need to talk about this. I thought I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. Turns out the VP comes out of nowhere the next week, hands me an iPad. Oh, He's wow. already one of the top performers in the region. But I wanted to do this just as a thank you for, for what you did in that situation. And I'm like, I just want to do this for the rest of my life. That's beautiful. <laughs> that... Something for an absolute negative and putting into a positive to me yeah. was like, it just an aha moment. And I didn't want to stop doing it. Yeah. So that's how it kind of happened. But again, I knew I liked it. I just didn't know I loved it. And that day, that's what happened. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And I've and I've, you know, worked with those customers who come in just ready to tear down the branch. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in, in like SaaS, it's like saying I'm going to cancel my subscription, blah, blah, blah. And then you're like upselling, you know, two two add ons or so, so on. And it's it's just it's crazy. I've, I have a similar TD or my bug was caught in at TD as well. You know, I was when people told me that you could sell at, at the bank, I was like, okay, like, let's do this within, yeah. you know, a couple of months. I was, I was up there at the top performers, but then I started sort of like, it was a regular occurrence, but I wanted like a challenge, right? I wanted something bigger. Yeah. So it was a quiet day in the branch. I went to my manager during the last half hour of the shift. And I was like, look, I need, I need something like 2000 champion points was a lot. So you yeah. could use champion points to buy like, buy stuff. Know, yeah. Buy I remember stuff that. With it. Yeah. So I was like, listen, if I can sell like five products within the last half hour of the day, can I get 2000 champions points? He was like, yeah, okay. Like go for it. Like that's not going to happen. Right. Cause you only get at the end of that day, like maybe like one customer every like five minutes, half an hour later, six products, three credit cards, like two simply saves accounts, you know, like it was, I love that. It was the rush. It was that thrill and the feeling, you know, and, and that's the thing that sales can, can provide, not just, obviously the thrill and, and that feeling, yeah. but that consistent feeling of going outside of your comfort zone, like cold calling Absolutely. every day. I know you love it. I'm not, the I'm a fan because thing. I like doing it. Not everybody's like me though. Like, yeah. bro, I'm people get weirded out sometimes when I tell them I like cold calling. <laughs> That's like, a special because, gift, look, it, man. That's a special it, gift. A, thank you. I, I just look at it as, look, I'm a human and I like to talk to other humans. And part of it is because I learned at a very early age from a mentor of mine that you're not supposed to carry an emotion from one call to the next. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying I'm emotionless, Mm -hmm. but what I've been able to do is program my brain to say, if somebody tells me no or to F off or go F myself or whatever it may be, look, it is what it is. They're not going to reach out over the phone and strangle me. Like it just, it is what it is. I, I disturb their day. I get it right early on. It happened more often than not because my opener wasn't the same as it is today, but my opener now is very different, right? We talked about it's question-based. So Mm -hmm. I'm giving something familiar. They want to talk about, so they actually want to be on the phone with me, Mm -hmm. which is why I enjoy it more. Back then, not so much, but it developed over time. So it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I do want to ask you something about the TD. Were you at, were you there at the time where SR points were like, yes. um, dude, okay, so you actually get the sales shit. Because yeah. I remember when they stopped SR points, I'm like, man, right as I left, seriously, <laughs> like, no pressure for sales. Yeah, it's yeah. It's not even fair. <laughs> Is crazy. Is crazy. Oh, there was two things that, like, there was SR, and then there was like the customer service service side of things, yep. and then they made that that pivot. But yeah, SR points. It was like, all right, how many SR points can I get today? You know what I mean? And had I had I not, because I worked there part time uh, as a student, but had I not left, like, I think for like another month, would have been able to go to Presidents Club that 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 year. Um, oh my bro! Unfortunately. It is what I'm it an, is. You're going to hate me, but I made it to residence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what they did? You'll never believe what they did. They literally just took me to the keg. That was it. Wow. They took me to the keg. Like it was <laughs> me and two other people from the region. It was the top three. It was the VP, the two other, uh, the two other representatives and the branch managers from that branch. We all went to the keg and it was nothing special. They give us a little trinket. Thank you very much. <laughs> bye. I was like, with all the money you guys make. Damn. just a steak dinner but i mean look it was pretty cool at the end of the day and, and i'll never yeah. forget i remember the amount of sr i got that quarter specifically it was 52.5 something like that mm-hmm. and it was like the record for that historical branch ever mm-hmm. and i was like over the moon and here's the best part i did that all part-time yeah that's why my boss was like like when i told him i was leaving they're like no don't go <laughs> 
like you crush it part-time what others can't do full-time yeah i'm like i don't know and and here's the other kicker too do you remember when they were doing the chio thing they were trying to raise money for chio yeah i used to be huge on that like i used and i almost i made people feel bad i won't lie i feel bad now saying it Mm -hmm. but i used to like make people feel bad that they were about to walk away from the branch not helping children Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) it was bad it was bad bad. i'm not gonna lie yeah i think back to the things i used to say yeah and it almost seemed like i would guilt trip people for not putting money in the little pig right (laughs) right so you're not gonna you're not gonna donate today to kids like they're right that's what i used to say yeah so wait so are you donating for children today he's like what children i mean for the chill hospital Mm -hmm. they'd be like oh i know so hold on you're saying you don't want to help children get better He's right. like, well, if you put it that way, I'm like, oh my God, now that I think back about the sale, yeah. I wasn't even getting anything out of it, but I felt so bad guilt tripping them. Dude, that, that, I just have to call it out right there. That ta- that's a tactic that if it you is. just ask the a question a second time, like if you just ask the same question twice, it's crazy how much more you can in get. In a different the way though. Exactly. A different intonation. Yeah. And you're right. It is a tactic. It's the way you say it the first time is, would you like, and then it's like, so you're not right. And it's the intonation of the not. And I learned that. And I can't remember where I took, it was in a sales seminar in Toronto about like, what was it like five or six years ago? Mm-hmm. I can't remember the gentleman's name. He came in through another sales training that we had. Mm-hmm. And he said, just how you emphasize the word not yeah, and make a person completely think about uh, like uh, in another direction about what they're going to do as an outcome. And then I started learning about like the the five different ways or five different intonations of one word. Mm -hmm. And I was just like dumbfounded. I was right over my head at first. And I'm like, wow, I never even thought about this. Saying the word why in five different intonations can truly change one's mind frame. Yeah. But you're right. It was, it was a tactic and that they usually go for it. Like, okay, fine, fine. But the one difficulty was because it's digital, they're wondering how am I going to put money in there if I don't have solid cash? I'm like, look, it'll take me literally three seconds to make a transaction to take out a toonie. Right. Oh, okay, fine. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I show it to them. I, and I do this thing. This is how I play this to the psychology game. I do it. You know how fast it was. You press O, blah, yep. blah, blah, pow, out, yeah. go right behind you, take out the toonie, be like, look what you did today. You helped out a child. Put in the piggy bank. <laughs> they're all like, yay, I hate you, but I'm so happy I helped someone. Man, it's something right? to celebrate. Something to celebrate. Goes back to charity. So you did, you did the, you did the work, and and you made it happen. Last, last thing about TD, because uh, we keep talking about it. But TD was the first place that I realized, like one, you know, really caught the bug for sales. I I done sales for a long time, but caught the bug for sales. But as well, it was like, like you said, as part time employees, we were outperforming the full time employees, and yes. it was then I realized that wait, I can out effort everyone here. And then, you know, I sort of carried that throughout because there's like average always, you know, there's an average, there's a baseline and most people are content working at average, but the universal currency that's respected by everyone I feel is effort. Like the amount of effort you put in. And I just realized if I out effort and that doesn't mean to burn myself out. Like I've, I've learned that over time, but if I out effort everyone else, like I can get stellar results you know what i mean and and that's where i sort of learned that is that you can really set your like a wide gap apart by just a small marginal difference in how much effort you put in i agree and i'll tell you why it's like this if if you're willing to hear it absolutely so the reason why it is this way and i had the chance to sit down and formulate this i might even want to theorize this one day if you look at when you were at td and i and this is why i saw it because we were in the same in, in the same organization everybody was putting in the same effort because they were taught the same thing. They would go Mm -hmm. to the same training seminar for TD and all told the same way to sell you and I, on the other hand, and I, you can tell me, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the one thing that we did differently is every single time that something did not work. And every time that we had to take large forms of data of sales, let's say like a, like, you know, things that they would give you as far as data on how to sell, we would synthesize Mm-hmm. And then we would do it in a different fashion and get different results. But what we did is learn from the negative results and approach it in a different way, make it more efficient and less time consuming. Mm-hmm. Tell me if I'm wrong when I say that. No, you're absolutely right. Like now that I think back, like it's absolutely crazy what I was like, I was getting an MBA or the masterclass in sales. I'm getting an MBA mm-hmm. at Salesforce, but you know, a masterclass sure. in sales at TD, which was like, instead of like a person coming in and being like, Hey, like you're pre-qualified for a credit card. Like, are you interested? It was like, 
hey, are you going on vacation within the next year? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, I'm taking my kids, kids out, so on and so forth. And it's like, oh, Bravo. great. That's, that's amazing. Like, how are you like, are you saving money for that? Yes. So on and so forth. Oh, well, you can get like you're spending a lot of money. Like you can just apply these points to your and then bang, you know, it's done. You got a travel travel credit card and it's it's over. It's I have nothing to say about Bravo, man. <laughs> it's, that's that's not that's platinum. Forget gold. I said it in a different way, but something similar. But that's just pure platinum, man. It's it's your walking in into the sale. And I love that you said that because you always hear these things about great salespeople lead you into that sale, right? They're just asking questions to lead you right through the door. Yeah. Right. You can't make them walk through, but you're leading them in. And that's exactly what you're doing. And it goes back to what I said earlier about that guy. Like, why are you spending money and not making money? It sounds ludicrous. Like I'm just going to spend money when I could be making money, but I'm not. Right. Right? That's another way of saying not like you're, so you're not going to make more money. Are you crazy? And then they think they're stupid because they're not doing it. But if you try to emphasize it properly, they'll be like, no, 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 I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Just sell me, sell me, sell me. Give me everything. I'll take it all. Right. (laughs) But but yeah, no, I'm I'm glad that we touched on that point. Yeah. hundred percent. You're leading them into the sale. You're not forcing them into it. And you know, that's, that's kind of what I love about sales. You know, when I see the, the influencers out there talking about like, you know, forcing your client into the sale and like never taking no for an answer and, and so on and so forth. Like that just makes me cringe. Cause that's, first of all, that's not great on your brand. And second, that's just not in a way to sell with much integrity uh, in the first place. So I think that's humanizing. Though? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. I mean, to interject. I'd like to pay you a compliment, something that you might've not noticed. You know, one of the reasons why you're also really good at, let's say the outreach game. When you think about when you were at TD, and I realized this late, I should have realized this early. And I spoke about it in conversation once with my wife out of all people, but I realized something, the volume of people, especially you where you're located in Toronto, it, it, there's high volumes of people walking in when you're making outbound calls, right? You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. We know this, but when you're doing it at a high volume in person and they're always coming in and you have to have these, this, like th- these uncomfortable conversations in person. They train you to be comfortable when you get onto a phone, yeah. right? And we don't see it like this. It's, it's, we don't notice it until we realize it's just a, it's a different environment, but it's the same thing when you think about it, right? It's a high volume of people that you're continuously, uh, sorry, continuously trying to sell to, which I think actually is more pressure when you're in person, which should technically train you to become easier when you do it over the phone. Yeah. But that's how I saw it. No, absolutely. And just small, small uh, correction there. I actually did it in Ottawa. So Ottawa, Montreal Road, Montreal Road and Vanier area. Montreal so, Road and Blair. There you go. So you're just up, up the road. Wow. But wow. I, I got literally the, just down the street from me. Exactly. And I got the customers who, well, I think it was that Montreal and Blair, Blair as well, but Montreal and Vanier was like was not bad. the best area. Right. So it was, it was every day we were dealing with, I think once they found like, arms within one of the lock boxes. It was insane. Whole story. Yeah. But anyway, it, it made me cut my chops and sales. And it made me, uh, I think for anyone jumping into any new sales role, it's like, you have to be ready to fall flat on your face. And that's no, the same with trying anything new. Like you're always going to fall flat on your face, but the key is getting back up, trying it, trying it, trying it, reiterating, experimenting, A-B testing, split testing, and then, you know, exactly. executing. So yesterday with a gentleman named Dan on a podcast, I talked about exactly what you just said about when you fall. And I remember making a post about it on LinkedIn and it's not necessarily how you fall, right? And you even hear it in the Rocky movie, you know, it's not how you fall, let's get back up. If we try to make salespeople understand something, it should be this. You're going to fall. Like you said, you're going to fall flat on your face. It's inevitable. And if you don't think you are, you're crazy, but it's good as leaders coming into it, making them aware that you are, but you have to embrace that you have to embrace that fall. And the reason you should embrace it is because you have the opportunity to learn what happens after. And if you don't imp- embrace what you learn from that, mm-hmm. you should get out of sales. Yeah. Like, it's not for everybody, but once you're here, what happens here to here, that right there, that's the, that's the beautiful part. Yeah. Because yeah. then you start altering everything so that you never do fall flat on your face. And if you do have to fall, you'll never fall on your face. You'll fall just on your butt. Yeah. Right. You're minimizing the fall. That's how I see it. You're always minimizing the impact of the fall, but you're still going to fall. Just never on your face again. Yeah, no, I, you, I, you couldn't have said it, but I couldn't have said it better myself. And you're such a great 
like symbol model for the sales world to, to look awesome. at and see how they can, you know, how they can be an elite seller. One of the things I noticed when I, when I looked at your LinkedIn profile, it's one of the best profiles on LinkedIn. That's for Stop, sure. Um, <laughs> but when I go to your certifications, you've got like a ton, like you've done a lot um, in terms of keeping yourself ed- educated, keeping Always. yourself leveled up. Talk to me about how you continue to level up as a seller and how you keep yourself learning as a seller. So it's easy. When I was a kid, I hated reading. Hated. I don't. I never hide from it. My dad used to always ask me why I don't read enough books, and I didn't. Right? I was a hyper kid. I was happy, optimistic. I wanted to have fun. Mm-hmm. One day, I remember when I was in, I think it was eleventh grade. I picked up a, a random book. I don't even remember the name of it. It was in a library, and I learned something from that book. And again, I can't even remember that, but I do remember the day it happened. I was sitting there, and I learned a quote, and I'm like, oh my god. This is powerful stuff here because when you're in school, all you're learning is theory. You're learning theory on a subject that you're most likely never going to use in your life. Right. And if you do, it's probably going to be on based on math and English. Yeah. So, and I was in that library and I read that and I'm like, Oh my God, that's really compelling. And it hit me. Then that day I started picking up more books and then another book and another book. And it just became progressive. Then eventually I stumbled upon one book that like more or less changed my life. And it's a pretty famous book out there for any leaders. It's the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership from John Maxwell. It was like, I just got shivers saying that. Like, there's certain things in that book that changed the way I do things, not only in business, but in my personal life on a very, very high level. Mm-hmm. And when I used to think that that wasn't something that I would ever do. And then there's one line, it's my favorite one out of that book is, change is the cost of progression. And when you start changing things like me changing this habit of not wanting to read to reading, you start propelling in a different way. Your trajectory trajectory changes. What I also learned is going into a digital age, you want to be more familiar with that specific topic, right? You want to be more familiar with the products that are going to be more prevalent in the future or more prolific. So then I started going into CRMs and started taking certifications on that. Then I learned that you can have free training on LinkedIn. I'm like, I just want to take advantage because the more I know, the more I can give back. And also there's, a, the, there's the validity concept. And I'm not saying it for more than what it is, but it is actually what it is. When you have so much, you know, call it accolades. When you have enough accolades, there's a form of seriousness that comes with that. People yeah. see that you took the time to learn something. And when they see that you're certified in it, they know that you know what you're talking about. And I'm not just talking out of thin air which is why when I do talk, I talk based on information that's factual, based on statistical information and so forth. And it usually has results that are positive, right? Because again, it's based on precedence, but you need the data, you need the information before you can spew it back. And I learned that luckily, hopefully I would think at at a young age, and I carried that forward for the rest of my life. And even till today, I never stop because I know that things move in the sales realm, you know, lightning speeds. And you can have one tactic in a month from now that becomes irrelevant and they will be replaced or superseded by something, you know, within days. So if you don't keep yourself in the know, you're never going to be able to spew the most up-to-date information that's going to be more powerful so that people can take advantage of and have the best results. That's how I've always seen it. Yeah. We really need to change um, the always be closing sort of model to the mm-hmm. always be learning model. Did you just get that from my post? I saw that earlier today, I think, but I've been, I've been talking about it for a long time. Uh, I love that. And honestly, I didn't even know that that was a thing. I just one day made it and it just made sense to me. Right. I like ABL better than ABC, but again, ABC is like that because of, you know, the, the, the chronological thing of ABCs. Right. right and I, and right. I get that, but if we make people, you know, aware of like an ABL concept, like never stop learning. You yeah. can't lose. It's impossible to lose. And even if you give somebody a bad text, they'll find something good out of it, right? Yeah. Because there's no losing in, in learning. So sure. that's at least my take on it. For sure. I want to dive into your, your sales consulting a little bit, but going back to that education piece, honestly speaking, you know, I know validity is a certain portion of it, but how much has you taking the education, the certifications, applied to you actually knowing more as a sales consultant? Like, is it a lot more? Okay. A lot more. 
And the thing is, you're never going to be able to remember everything. And there's these stats that came out. I can't remember them, but they say 90% of the things that you learn as you're going through any type of education, you end up forgetting within a specific amount of days. I think it's after a month or two, you forget it completely, but you retain 10%. And I'll actually try and, and make this like visual for the listeners who are doing it on an audio level, of course. I watched a TED Talk once, and it was a neurologist who had mentioned brain's elasticity. Once you reach 35 years old, you only have two options. Either the brain's elasticity stagnates or it declines. So it's up to you to continually learn so that you can keep your mind you know, fresh with new information. But here's the really cool part about how the brain works, and at least how she explained it. So don't quote me, just something I, I, I learned. When you get to 35, think about your brain being completely full, like a loading bar, right? It's completely full. What your brain is going to do is extract things that are no longer as pertinent to you to be able to fill in new information. And that's how she was explaining it. So a great example is when you walk into a room and you see one red wall, everything else is plain, but you have one red wall. The one thing you retain is the red wall. Now, when you're younger, you're able to retain a lot more, but as you get older, you retain less. You're going to retain the most important part or the most pertinent, which is the red wall. Mm -hmm. So what you do through learning is try to take the most pertinent information. And here's the kicker to you that is applicable to what you're trying to project in the topic in which you're trying to speak to, mm -hmm. right? Or speak about, sorry, that's the objective. So if I'm reading an article about sales that just came out with a new methodology, I'm not going to digest the whole thing and be able to repeat the entire thing. What I'm going to do is I'll find the most important piece that's relevant to me and the tactical strategies that I'm involved in and try to implement that within so that I can give the most up-to-date information based on an overall strategy that I'm already working within. That's the way you do it. And this is why learning is so important. And this is why it has so much impact. And this is why I say it has a lot of impact because every day I learn something new and it just becomes supplementary or it supersedes something that was originally there. That's why it's important. Embrace what is useful and discard what is useless. It's one of exactly. Bruce Lee's favorite quotes. Oh, wow, I love that's it. beautifully said. Tanvir, that's like primo. It, I try to, just, I try to pull up these quotes whenever I can. Out. Yeah, you just got to filter out. That's what it is. And I do that every single day. That's amazing. How can somebody who's in sales become a sales consultant eventually? Like, what is the path to get there? So I can't tell you concretely what it would be. I think one of the biggest problems that you see in consultancy or coaching and whatnot is there's a lot of self-doubt. A lot of people tend to think that I'm not ready because they don't believe that they can deliver. Now, to be able to overcome that, if you're able to niche down on a specific topic, it becomes really easy. Because then if you're really great at this one thing, all you have to continually do is learn more about that one thing. And then you're not, you don't have to worry about finding clientele. If it's general enough about a larger topic, that will always fit as a piece of a puzzle within the grand scheme of the puzzle itself. And what I mean, and this is how I can try to explain it even further. If you're good at top of funnel in sales, stick a top of funnel. If you're the type that really knows how to bring clientele in based on a ton of different mediums or a multitude of different ways, stick to top of funnel. Do not deviate. Take that information. Keep learning about top of funnel. If you decide eventually you want to go mid or bottom, go ahead. That's mm -hmm. up to you. Mm -hmm. But if you're really relaxed and comfortable and you could speak about it for hours about lead gen and demand gen and everything in between, take that reach out. And if somebody, and then eventually we'll get referrals, but reach out and say, this is something that I believe I have an expertise in and I can bring value to your organization or you as an individual. Mm -hmm. And then it's testing, right? You're going to give the information and then, and you know what, actually I'll stop it there, but, and I'll even give a secret. So I have three questions that I always ask when I'm meeting with a new client, always the same three questions. And you'll see that with my company, like the number three is pretty, it's, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I always say, what would you like to see? When would you like to see it? And what have you already done? Right? So this way, the first one is, I know that this is exactly what they're trying to accomplish. And I have a time frame that's attached to that specific subject. And then what have you already done? Make sure that I don't become redundant. I don't give them information that they've already seen and they're just paying for wasted time. So if you take the time to ask something like this, you don't have to worry about coming in and just spewing the same old crap. And then they just say, we didn't get value out of it. So again, niche down 
at first as much as possible, focus on this one thing and delivering as best as possible, and then build out after that. But at least you'll have feedback. And then again, I didn't mention that, but ask for as much feedback as possible. I did that in the beginning and I got some good and bad. I won't lie. I had one client tell me like, Eddie, I didn't really get any value from working with you. It only happened once. And I felt like absolute shit. I'm not going to lie. It was when I first, first started, it felt like hell. It felt like a knife right in the heart because it turns out that I never asked. I didn't build those three questions at first. And I said, well, what could I have done to bring you value? Well, you know, we could have went over what we've already done. And that's when that question rose, right? Like if I didn't ask, I wouldn't have known. Mm-hmm. And I remember that post I put out, like feedback is everything kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, ask, listen, ask, like, or sorry, listen, mm-hmm. ask, listen. And the end I said, feedback is everything. That post came from that specific situation that happened. Because if I would have asked, I would have known, right? But it happened. I asked and now I knew. So it, it just evolved that way. Straight bars. Eddie, this is going to be one of the best conversations I've had on the back podcast, man. You're, you're amazing. It's always great, you know, learning from you, watching your content on LinkedIn and and staying engaged, you know, what's the best way for my audience to to connect with you, stay engaged with you and um, keep up to date on what you've got going on in the future. LinkedIn. I am a firm believer in that specific platform. I'm building my website in the back end. I've been doing it for months now. It's actually down as it is just because I don't really need it to be perfectly frank, but LinkedIn is the best way. And um, I do apologize if I don't get back to them immediately. I am trying my best. I've even come up with kind of a little bit of a solution in my messaging box. I now only keep it on unread so that I know what I missed or not missed. I think it's a pretty cool trick. I told this to somebody yesterday. Me. And were just, yeah, you. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I forgot, Broski. Yeah. It's actually okay. you. Yeah. And I just, just started doing this like about two, three weeks ago because I had somebody actually complain and say, you know, man, I like messaged you like a week ago. I'm like, oh man, I'm so sorry. I missed it. It was all the way down in the messages. Mm-hmm. I realized now I should just keep it on unread. And it sometimes gets off if you, you know, if you close the browser, but I just always go back and put unread so Smart. that I know that I'm not missing something. Smart. I'll, uh, I'll be sure to link Eddie's profile in the show notes. Now, Eddie, before we wrap up for today, what's your best piece of advice to help my listeners achieve their next big win? In sales? In general, in life. In general, be honest. And here's the, here's the kicker. Don't just be honest with whoever, whomever it is that you're working with. Be honest with yourself. That's gonna, it's going to take you a lot further than you can ever imagine. I love that, man. Eddie, it's been a pleasure having you on Winning Streaks today. Thank, Thank you, you so much for coming it's on the show. It's a pleasure being here, man. Like a true pleasure.